0: Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants. Covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night, here are your hosts Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson.
1: Welcome today to today's. Rise Up Governance and Boards podcast today. We are joined by Taj Pabari. Taj is one of Australia's youngest and most successful social entrepreneurs. At the age of 11, Taj started his first business, a tech blog for kids, by kids, for kids. In 2014, the website was acquired by an international manufacturing firm for a small fee. At the age of 14, Taj founded 56 Creations using the funds he raised from the tech blog alongside investment from Sydney impact investor Steve McDonald. The the social enterprise delivers entrepreneurship and financial literacy programs for young people. As of 1 April 2020, 56 Creations has educated more than 60,000 students from across Australia and New Zealand. Taj's work and story has been featured on Sunrise, 60 Minutes, the Today Show, National Geographic, ABC, Nickelodeon and CNBC and now Wise Up Governance and Boards.
2: Yeah.
1: Accolades collected by Taj and 56 Creations include being named the 2017 Young Australian of the Year for Queensland, the Australian Young Innovator of the Year and winner of Westpac's Top 20 Businesses of Tomorrow. Welcome, Taj.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Thank you for joining us. So tell us a little bit about um, 56 Creations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So 56 started when I was uh, 14 years old. I was a very disengaged uh, young person in school. I didn't enjoy being there, didn't see the point in why I was sitting there. And for me, I just wanted a life outside of the classroom. I wanted to kind of just explore the world around me, I was fascinated by technology. I was fascinated by kind of just the digital economy in general and thought, all right, well, like, if this is kind of what I'm – if this is the thing I want to do when I grow up, I might as well just start now. Uh, and started 56 Creations um, when I was 14, and we've kind of transitioned to, to an education, social enterprise, delivering business and entrepreneurship programs to solve youth unemployment. Um, so actually getting young people in regional communities to start their very own business or social enterprise to solve a community problem. Uh, And at the end of it, they're actually learning some really amazing skills, things like communication, collaboration, creativity, um, skills that we think are really quite important for success in the digital economy, uh, especially for some of these regional kids as well. So, yeah, I've got the best job in the world.
0: Sounds like it, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the um, work that you do with the uh, Indigenous youth community.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So kind of from the start at 56 Creations, we were kind of like, all right, well, like the skills that we're teaching are pretty much for everyone there, for every young person, regardless of age, gender or postcode. Um, Equally, some of these skills can be incredibly valuable for, say, some of those more disadvantaged students where they might be in the poverty trap, they might not necessarily have access to a really world-class education. And the idea was, well, let's name the organisation 56 Creations. And in numerology, the numbers five and six means opportunity. And we thought we're going to give every single young person, regardless of if they can afford or not, the opportunity to have entrepreneurial education. And that kind of started, well, like we could work with kids in India and in Africa, et cetera. But closer to home, we've got some incredibly uh, incredible young people who are in some really disadvantaged uh, situations. Um, close to home in Queensland, up in Cape York. You've got kids who are incredibly bright, but quite simply have not had the opportunity to kind of just explore the world of entrepreneurship. We decided from a pretty early stage within the organisation that we wanted to have a strong social purpose, and the idea of youth unemployment for regional communities and getting them out of the poverty trap was actually something quite practical and something quite realistic. And getting young people who were still in school, uh, primary school even, starting their own business, to contribute back to their economy was um, was actually quite feasible. And, yeah, over the last six years, we've now had the opportunity to work with over 60,000 young people, uh, most of them in Australia, uh, and we've also had some presence in New Zealand and Singapore as well.
1: I was watching your TEDx talk last night. <laughs> <laughs> and the experience that you had going on an Anthony Robbins' course, can you tell us a bit about that?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, like... Gosh, I like I did that TED TEDx talk. I think that was the UQ one where I spoke about Tony Robbins, and like I think I was sixteen at the time, and they were like, "Do you want to do this um, TEDx talk?" And I was just like, "Like, I used to watch a lot of TEDx talks. Um, I, I, to be honest, I still do." And thought, "All right, let me just quickly do this one." And it was a, like it was a very quick five to ten minute talk. And every time I watch it, I can't seem to delete this talk anymore. But like, it's out there forever, right? Um, so it's a good. Uh, it was a good learning opportunity for me, but. No, certainly. I, I, I've been a massive follower of Tony Robbins since I was fourteen. Uh, my parents took me to one of his seminars um, when I was quite young, and um, I'd always been quite interested in business because I started my first tech blog when I was eleven. As you said at the start, um, it was a really cool experience because, like, that was in my peak uh, hatred of school. I was on three suspensions at that time. I was on like I was about to be expelled from school during that period, um, and this the whole idea of an electronic blog kind of doing something outside of the classroom was the one thing that engaged me back into d- traditional education. Um, and mum and dad were just like, Hey, well we want to take you to a Tony Robbins seminar and thought, all right, well like three days off school for me, it was just incredible because I hated being there. Um, uh, like I honestly hated it. Um, so three days being able to go to Sydney, um, stay at a hotel and, um, kind of not be in the classroom was like anything. go. So I said, yes. Um, and had the most amazing three days, set some really amazing goals, did a visualization board, um, kind of just set my goals for what I wanted to achieve in life. And that was not something I ever did in school. Um, it was not something we ever had the opportunity to do in school. It was never something we were taught about in school. And I think just the whole principal idea of setting aspirations for one's life was something that really hooked me into to, to his, his teachings. Um, and had been a massive fan of his um, there I had the opportunity to meet him in New York a couple of years ago um, which was a really chance encounter in a, studio, a film studio and um, got the opportunity to say thank you so um, no massive, massive fan of him
1: and how was the fire walking
2: loved it like like <laughs> I was literally 14 um, I was the only 14 year old in that seminar mum and dad were, were, were massive like they've been massive advocates for his work and um, kind of were like, hey, this UPW seminar is in Sydney where it's around your birthday, so they kind of spun it as a birthday gift as well. Um, and like like he kind of puts you in the state that you don't feel it. Um, you walk across like burning hot uh, coal without feeling a thing. And to me that sort of um, – kind of the theory behind that really fascinated me um, and still to this day fascinates me and something that I'm I, – I, Look, I, I think I was very lucky to be able to kind of engage in a seminar like that from, from the age of 14. And certainly when I have kids, uh, whoever, whether it's his kids, whether it's his associates, I will certainly be sending them to a, to, to, to one of his seminars because it certainly changed my life.
0: So um, in relation to the micro-MBAs, Taj, do you find there's some um, they've become quite popular with the kids and how do they sort of interact with those and um, what do you sort of see the benefits of um, for children off the back of that?
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, kind of we we think of ourselves as a kind of a holistic education provider. We teach entrepreneurship but the skills they're learning from entrepreneurial skills are massive, right? Our entrepreneurial skills are, are people skills. They're things like communication, you don't just have to uh, – by practicing communication, that doesn't just set you up for a career pathway down business and entrepreneurship. That's a career through every single background. If you Whatever you want to do when you grow up, you're going to have to learn about communication. You're going to need to learn how to negotiate with other people. You're going to need to understand fundamental collaboration and teamwork skills. And we kind of thought, well, like kids in itself, if you go to a child and say, hey, we're going to be doing public speaking camp, the answer in more times than not is no. I don't want to learn about public speaking. I don't want to go to public speaking camp. <laughs> I, for one, was one of those kids. I didn't want to go to public speaking camp because that's just weird and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> My kids um,
0: are the same.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's not cool, right? Like, who <laughs> wants to learn about public speaking during a school holiday? Like, certainly not me and certainly <laughs> not most of the kids that we've worked with. Uh, but the idea of who wants to start a business, who wants to change the world, uh, like, they don't even know how to start a business or change the world, but the idea is, like, great, like, I don't really know how, but like, sounds good. I'll, 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 give it a go. Uh, and when they're actually starting a business, you can't really start a business without communicating your ideas to another person. Therefore they're practicing communication skills. You can't start a business without the support of other people, team members, co-founders, that sort of thing. And therefore they need to find a team, grow a team, uh, incentivize other people to come work for them. Uh, and we kind of realize, well, like, entrepreneurship is a great way of teaching transferable life skills. Um, And instead of trying to get kids to persuade them to learn about public speaking, just get them to start a business because ultimately if they want to succeed down a pathway in business, they're going to need to know how to communicate. Uh, They're going to find a way to push out of their comfort zones. And there's obviously some very negative elements of peer pressure, but when you put a group of 30 people who all want to start a business together, most of them are going to learn about communication skills. Most of them are going to find a way to work in a group setting. Most of them are going to find a way to be creative. And I think that's a kind of the the, the positive side to peer pressure because they kind of push each other to learn some really amazing skills.
1: A chance for a plug. What, have been, what are some, some of those successful businesses that have been built, Taj?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, last year we had the opportunity to to uh, deliver a program for the state government called the Minister's Climate Challenge, where it was a challenge open to all Queensland students, um, grade three to grade twelve, I think. Um, kids had to identify a climate problem within the Queensland ecosystem and brainstorm a solution. Uh, we visited thousands of young people all across the state, from Cape York to the Gold Coast. It was pretty much it was incredible. Um, where we got the opportunity to literally hear kids. What are some of your problems? And hey, well, this is a platform for you to to, to pitch them. Uh, and winners of that challenge actually got to pitch their ideas to the former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, as well as the Minister for Environment, uh, leanne Enoch, here in Brisbane. So we brought together like 15 kids from all across Queensland, some of the most brightest minds, to pitch their climate solutions to a former U.S. Vice President, who's obviously made a very clear statement: he wants to invest into young people coming up with climate solutions. Uh, and we had these really amazing kids. We had George and Carter, the co-founders of EPAC. Um, they're based in Coran in Queensland. They go to school at Coran State School, and they had this idea for a sustainable uh, tourism pack, which included like the like your reusable cutlery, uh, reusable straw, the metal straws, um, plates that kind of were biodegradable, bamboo bowls, that sort of thing. Um, it was just like, it, it was incredible. It was a very sustainable, um, tourism pack and it costs $40. Um, these guys were like nine years old. Um, and they pitched their idea to our to goal. Anyway, one of the other judges was, um, the, the director of the 2040 movie, um, Damon Gamo. Um, this, the kids ended up getting 10,000 dollars of pre-orders that night. Um, they ended up getting a commercial filmed by Damon Gamo. Um, they're about to raise another twenty five thousand um, dollars. They're some, like they're just incredible bunch of kids. Their their idea was we want to create sustainable tourism, and not only have they actually created that product, they've got ten thousand dollars of pre orders and a television ad that's been completely clipped and created um, by someone who's actually directed quite an incredible film. And we thought for a bunch of nine year olds living in a regional community, this is this is pretty incredible. Um, and we've kind of got young people just like George and Carter from not just Queensland but across the country who are just coming up with problems and identifying solutions and along the way generating pre-orders, meeting cool people who are creating ads for them. Uh, and it's incredible because they're learning some really amazing skills. They're building their network um, and ultimately creating a better world for us all. So, no, it's, it's exciting stuff.
0: What a fantastic experience for these kids. So um, absolutely. What are your thoughts on uh, code that's being taught in the schools, Todd? I hate
2: it. I absolutely hate it. It's something <laughs> that it's it is a media statement that a couple of politicians put out a few years ago. Um, you had people like Bill Gates from Microsoft. You had a lot of the tech. Uh, CEO saying, "Well, coding is the new global language. The only reason they want it as a global language is if if we have lots of coders, the cost of hiring coders will inevitably go down." <laughs> um, for me, it's a basic economic argument. You train every single young person how to code. The price of hiring computer programmers is going to go down. Um, it's a fact. It's not. This is not a conspiracy. It's not a. It is. It's a basic fact. And when you train every single Queensland student in particular how to code, these people are going to be the next blue-collar workers uh, of the future. And I think it's incredibly disappointing that Queensland, an innovative state that we've tried to mould ourselves into, is saying that coding is a new global language. Because right now, we do have enough coders. Sure, they're paid high right now. but. In 10 years' time when we've got every single kid in India, every single kid in China learning how to code, a coins and code is going to be effectively useless. And if they are still around, they're going to be paid very little. Um, So that's my views on coding. Uh, Other people have very differing opinions on coding. Um, But my opinion is purely based on research. So we can differ on opinions, but research doesn't lie.
0: Mine's based on having to help with homework, so uh, I'm all for it not being taught. But anyway, it's all good.
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, it, look. The good computer, the good computer programmers, and probably the more exceptional computer programmers, will find success. Um, I just feel that training every single kid to code is a waste of time um, because if you're the best in your industry, in every industry, whether it's a um, if it's an, automate, it's an already automated industry, the elite ones will always be successful, and that's completely okay. But um, to train uh, a generation of computer programmers probably isn't the right thing.
1: So, Taj, you wrote an article called A War on Smartphones in Schools, um, which ultimately, I believe, led to you being invited to join a task force on cyberbullying.
2: <laughs> yes, yes.
1: What are your thoughts on cyberbullying bullying and how do we reduce it? it? <laughs> we can't eliminate it, but yeah. how do we reduce it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of the 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 premier put out the feelers after um, Amy Dolly Everett committed suicide in, the, um, in a in a boarding school in Queensland, uh, a, a Queensland student, uh, and her story obviously struck a chord um, across the state. It certainly struck a chord with our premier. Um, and full credit to her, she acted. Um, she acted decisively straight away, and said, "All right, well, like, like cyberbullying is not obviously not just a Queensland problem. It's certainly not an Australian problem. But we want to be part of the the major solution here in Queensland." And she kind of put together a task force, the anti-cyberbullying task force, and said, "Hey, well, what what can we do to combat uh, cyberbullying, and how do we make sure that we don't have stories like Amy Dolly Everett coming up uh, into the future?" and Kind of some of the, the media statements, once again, politicians um, have very frequently called for a ban on smartphones, that well if you want to stop cyberbullying, then ban the smartphone. And on paper, that sounds really attractive, like, well, if you don't have smartphones in the classroom, well, cyberbullying won't happen. Um, but the core issue behind cyberbullying is people cyberbullying in the classroom, they're, like they're normal bullying in the classroom, which is very easy for a teacher to step in and say, He'll, like, I can hear the comments you're saying, you need to stop these comments. The problems start arising um, when the kids are at home. They're in their bed. They've got their phones. It's very late at night. The kids have their phones. Parents are asleep or parents in their room working. Cyberbullying happens outside of the classroom, and the idea of banning a smartphone in the classroom is not solving cyberbullying. In fact, it's really delaying it when teachers can't um, interfere. Parents don't know about it, Uh, and that's kind of the view that we took. I only was in school a few years ago, and as someone who was – Uh, very close to people who had been bullied or even in some senses had bullied other people. Um, The idea of some of these off-the-shelf solutions such as ban the smartphone and you'll stop cyberbullying were things that people actually were seriously considering when really there was no research that suggested banning smartphones were, um, were practical. And from an anecdotal point of view, I was in school. I knew smartphones weren't the problem. Um, because you ban a smartphone, they've still got their computers, they've still got their iPads, and they can still do as much damage on their their computers or their iPads as they can on a smartphone. So it was an incredible task force. We made several suggestions to solve cyberbullying in Queensland. One of the ones that um, I was quite uh, happy with was this idea of providing youth grants so young people can apply for up to $3,000, to come up with their own cyberbullying social change campaign in their local school. So if a young person, literally a a grade 6 or a grade 12 student, has an idea to solve cyberbullying, they can apply to the state government for $3,000 to come up with an event, uh, social change movement, ads, whatever it might be, super open to solve cyberbullying. And it's rather than having kind of a a more overarching TV ad saying, don't cyberbully, which... Like Everyone gets the idea of don't cyberbully, but actually young people solving their own solutions, coming up with problems, two problems that they face on a day-to-day basis, to me is the best way of solving a problem. Um, that's The Queensland government understood that, and they put, I think, uh, it was about a million dollars towards youth grants to get young people solving cyberbullying within their own communities, um within uh, kind of that was just one of the, the many um recommendations so look i was incredibly honored to be part of that task force the, the this youth grants program was certainly one of the ones i was pushing for and they, they funded it so no it was it, it was incredible but banning smartphones once again similar to coding looks great in media but isn't overly practical and isn't very thought out in my opinion
0: And um, your Lego uh, story, Taj, tell us about that.
2: Mm. So after starting the tech blog, I kind of thought, all right, well, like, I really want the idea of uh, a do-it-yourself tablet for kids. Like, I love technology. I love writing about electronics on weekends I, when my sister would be going to, like, sewing classes or co-curriculars or whatnot. Um, my... Like dream weekend was mum and dad dropping me to JB Hi-Fi or Harvey Norman, spending like four hours there, taking pictures of all the electronics using dad's uh, Canon camera, and like literally spending a few hours there just to play with electronics. Um, that was my dream weekend. That was a hobby. I loved it. And kind of um, out of that uh, Tony Robbins seminar for me, it was well, a tech blog probably isn't going to change the world, but hey, instead of just writing about electronics, why don't I start my own and had this idea for a do-it-yourself tablet for kids as easy as a puzzle, as fun as a computer game was the tagline um, where kids could literally clip in the different pieces for their own Android tablet. And at the end, it was just like a puzzle. It would turn on and they could use it for for school. Uh, I created a prototype really easily using school's 3D printers, um, ordered off-the-shelf components, uh, and the prototype was incredible. Like It was literally like a puzzle. They could... Clip in the camera, they could clip in the screen, they could clip in the motherboard, uh, and started pitching it to a heap of different places. Uh, media loved it. They were just like, "There's this Indian nerdy kid pitching this do-it-yourself <laughs> tablet." They wanted me on uh, all of their uh, news outlets, so from Sunrise to the Today Show to 60 Minutes, everyone wanted me on their shows, which was like, which is amazing. The yeah. issue was we only had one prototype, so every single time a new media outlet kind of said, "Hey." Like, do you want to hold on to the show? I was like, I like, yeah. Like, the answer was always yes. Um, but they also realized that this device didn't look as good as kind of they needed it to look for media. So they started creating their own iterations of the device and what they wanted it to look like. So, like, I showed them what it would look like. They took a photo of what it would look like. And then they'd create their own graphic um, of what they thought it was going to look like. <laughs> so it looked like this Apple-like device, which was, like, beautiful. Um, and we ended up selling like thousands of units, like of a device that really never existed. <laughs> um, we sold, yeah, like literally thousands of devices, um, of pre-orders, um, because the idea of a do-it-yourself tablet was cool. Um, I built it, I was the target market, I was 14 and thought, I want to do it yourself tablet. Like who wouldn't want to do it yourself tablet? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, had this concept, um, two years past, we made very little meaningful progress and a parent had ordered the, this tablet kit for their child's 16th birthday. The child had turned 18 years old, left school, moved out of home and they'd still not received their tablet kit. Um, and for some people, we're taking like, pre-orders anywhere between 5% all the way to 100%. Yeah. So we turned into a business that was trying to deliver devices that were two years old. Um, anyway, long story short, we... Two years later, we realized this is not a good business. We've, it's taken us two years to kind of create a prototype um, that is now two years old. Um, hardware is difficult, and if we're going to do hardware again, we would raise a huge amount of money. So we would raise $20, $30, 40000000 million before starting the business rather than taking a few thousand pre-orders and then, like, and then trying to deliver on it. Um, and thought, all right, well, the hardest part of starting a business is like, well, in my opinion, the hardest part of starting a business is, creating a, uh, is actually selling a product. Um, you can create a product that no one wants, but can you create a product that people want and have actually pre-ordered two years ago and still aren't complaining? That's how much they wanted this product. Uh, and the answer for us was, well, that probably is the hardest part of starting a business, creating a product that has so much demand that people don't mind waiting two years for it. Uh, our problem was we couldn't actually generate the product that they waited two years for. And thought, well, we've got an incredible amount of momentum here. How about we just teach other kids how to do the exact same thing? We can teach other kids how to start their own business. We can't really, we don't do a qualified teaching kids how to execute on their business ideas because we had no idea how to execute on the idea. But we can teach kids how to start them. And we started going around schools, uh, teaching young people how to start their own business, start their own product, start their own service, just like I started this tablet business. And that's kind of what led us into 56 Creations, where we go into schools and teach kids how to start their own business. And now we also teach kids how to execute on their business and actually get them to commercialise um, and actually deliver on uh, the products that they sell. So, yeah, that's, what, that, that's how we kind of transitioned from this do-it-yourself tablet, which was an amazing concept, but it was probably just too futuristic at that time. What's next for
1: 56 Creations?
2: yeah cool so look fifty six creations um, right now is an incredible social enterprise i've been with the organization now six years uh, I feel every six years people need a change uh, and I think I'm probably at the at the stage where I need a new new a new little project uh, so over the next few months my time at fifty six creations will be fading out um, i've got yeah, it will be an exciting new project. It's certainly not something that um, – it, it's, it's been something that I've wanted to do for quite a while. Um 50, 56 creations, we will still be there. The organisation is at the stage where it's very self-reliant. Uh, we've got the goal of educating 100,000 kids by 2025. We're 60,000 kids in. Um, we've got some amazing partnerships with the government, uh, corporates, and that's something that I think is really exciting. Um, but every six years you need new leadership, every six years you need a new change. And I think I've been, like I started when I was 14. Um, I'm 20 years old now. Um, there's only so much, um, there's only so much you can do in an organization in six years. Uh, and I'm young, I think I need a new challenge and I'm ready for that new challenge. So look, I'll be sharing what I do over the next uh, four, four or five months. I've got four or five months with 56. Uh, and then kind of look at well what wh- when do I share this new organization? So look, fifty six has provided me with an amazing opportunity. I've loved what I've done with 56. It's with such an, it's in good hands with with the team it is with right now. Um, but I think, yeah, six years for me is the the time where you've got to move on if uh, I think if you look at a presidential term in the US, um, they kind of limit it to, to 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 two terms. Uh, halfway through the second term for a U.S. president, um, you kind of read some of the anecdotal evidence of who's actually running the country. And and more times than not, um, it's the the people around the president, the chief of staff. It's the senior advisors that are really making the decisions for the president in the last two years of a presidential term. And for me, that kind of struck a chord and said, well, after six years, if – they can't run a country after six years, then for me it's probably the right time to say, um, to to give it to new leadership.
0: Well, that's very exciting. We can't wait to hear what your news is, Taj, soon.
1: We'll follow your journey, which we know will be incredibly successful in whatever you do. And so um, Thank you. Thank
0: you. with um, age diversity then on boards like ASX-listed boards or um, even advisory boards, what are your thoughts being a young person and the challenges you face for age diversity on boards?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think that's what, when I spoke at that Governance Institute uh, National Conference the other year, um, that was certainly something that was uh, discussed quite a lot Um I fundamentally believe that uh, not every single uh, person on a board should be a young person, but I believe that if young people are going to be inheriting a lot of these companies, then in turn we should have some form of representation either on the board of directors or on the advisory board. Um, To me, that provides some people talk, hey, we need uh, gender diversity, we need colour diversity, etc., but quite fundamentally we're going to be inheriting these companies they're either going to be they're going to be uh, creating products for us we're going to be sitting on these boards at some point so why not put us on these boards originally uh, governments are doing incredibly well uh, us are on a number of government boards uh, and it's not just me it's lots of government is realizing the power of putting young people who are going to be inheriting the country of the future of putting young people on boards and I think that's something that although governments used to quite slow to react to some of the more innovative uh, trends. And that's what the Australian government and the state governments have done really well to do. Corporates are lagging behind when it comes to that. Um, and it's certainly something that I would love to see kind of picked up a lot more um, because intuitively it makes sense. If you're going to put someone who's a different color to you on a board, if you're going to put someone who's a different gender to you on a board in the name of diversity, then in turn you've got to put someone uh, who's kind of got a different uh, perception of life to you as well. Um, so, look, that's the goal. I think it, to me, it makes sense. Uh, it certainly uh, would be in the interest of say, some of the banks in particular, um, but who knows? That's uh, the that's, that's, that's long-term vision. Governments are doing it. I'm glad governments are doing it, and it's not just corporates to, to follow suit.
0: Absolutely. Well, um, I think that's nearing our time, all, all we have time for today for our episode, Taj, but... Thank you so much for joining us and your amazing insights and just hearing about the journey for 56 Creations and um, your ongoing journey from here. We're very excited to hear about that. So um, we'll be following you closely. So,
2: Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks
0: Thanks so much, Taj.
2: Easy. Catch you later.
0: Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners today for another episode of Wise Up. That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.threewiseowls.com.au.